This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov slash MCTV. Local productions seen on Delta College Public Media are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Junior Doan's The Spark. I'm Junior Doan and thank you for joining us. My guest today is Guillaume Keynes, CEO and Director of the Hispanic Society Museum and Library in New York City. Welcome, Guillaume. Guillaume, uh, tell us about the Spanish Society. Hi, yes, of course. The Hispanic Society Museum and Library is actually one of the oldest museums in New York City. It was founded in uh, 1904 up until the public in 1908. Uh, it is the doing of uh, an American philanthropist. His name was Archer Huntington, the son to the Pacific Railroad money. And he was passionate about the many cultures um, of the Spanish and Portuguese speaking world. So basically the Hispanic Society Museum and Library is the most important a cultural institution dedicated to the preservation and the celebration of the cultures from the Spanish uh, and Portuguese speaking world. Uh, Guillaume, tell us uh, something about Mr. Huntington, the founder of the museum and his collection. So Archer Huntington uh, was born in 1870 in a very wealthy family. His father, Collis Huntington, was one of the four barons of the Pacific Railroad, and his mother, Arabella Huntington, uh, was an important collector of Dutch painting and French uh, furniture. So he had the money and collecting was running in the family. The big question is why did Archer Huntington sell on a Hispanic heart? And the, um, the story that we have is that he was a very young boy, nine years old, and he went to visit an uncle of his in Texas, San Marcos, and he was exposed for the first time to um, Hispanic architecture, Hispanic culture, and he heard for the first time, very likely, uh, Spanish language, and that triggered something in this little boy's mind, and a few years after, he was you know, very decided to uh, create a museum to celebrate these cultures he had no idea about, and that he realized uh, had such an important role and still does in the uh, story and the life of uh, the nation he was living in. But he collected for many years, did he not? 
Oh yes, it's but a he always big, collects huge four. collection. Oh yes, we have seven hundred fifty thousand objects, and uh, you know he really collected uh, for his museum more for himself. Uh, he already he already and always had the museum ID in his mind when he was acquiring something. So and the result of that is seven hundred fifty thousand items, including photos rare books, manuscripts, maps, paintings, drawings, jewels, textiles. I mean, name it, we have it. And, and great examples of them all the time. I, I was going to switch to the rebuilding, but let's stay with him just a minute. Didn't he have a grand plan in acquiring the land that he would make a complex where many museums were established? Yes, so at the time... So a visitor could go to many. At one place. Yes. Uh, at the time, you know, Uptown was the part of Manhattan where the real estate was developing like uh, crazy. And it was, it was a, in the early 20th century, Uptown was like the, the Hamptons today, really. And so there was an opportunity to buy some land and he bought the land from the Audubon family where they had their estate. He turned down the estate and installed his museum but, and library. But he, he not only did he want the museum and the library to be there, he really helped other institutions to join him on the, the, the terrace and to, to team up to create like a cultural hub in Upper Manhattan. So he helped the Geographical Society, the Museum of Native Americans, the American Academy of Arts and Letters, and the Numismatic Society. So that Audubon Terrace became this amazing uh, cultural facility and uh, it was very successful until the war hit and that changed a bit the story for uh, some decades. Did he require that entrance be free? Yes, that's one of the very important commitments that uh, he made and we are still faithful to that commitment. So the, the, the access to the museum's government collection is free of charge. <laughs> that's fabulous. I love this forward-thinking fellow. Well, right now it's at, and it will stay at 115th Street in northern Manhattan. Uh, what uh, what is the community like there now? You know, the community is very lively, is very diverse. It's predominantly uh, Hispanic, uh, Dominican, Puerto Rican, some Cuban, Mexican. Uh, originally, it was a Greek community as well. Maria Callas spent some years uh, there. And um, it's really at the intersection of, you know, the crossroad of, of West Harlem, uh, Washington Heights, and, and all the uptown um, experience. So it's, uh, it's actually beautiful. You know, we are right between the Columbia campus and the cloisters by the Hudson River, many parks, many historical districts. It looks like a, a time capsule of the New York of the Gilded Age. So uh, you've, uh, with the board and the society, <clears throat> have undertaken a restoration. Could you tell us the scope of that? What's been done and what we can anticipate? Absolutely. In 2017, the decision was made to close the museum because it needed an extensive repair, upgrade and renovation. Um, then we, we started to travel some highlights of the collection. We went to you know, the most important museums in the world that have interest in uh, Hispanic art and culture. And in the, in, in, the, in the meantime, we addressed the roof, the facade, and right now we just um, 
completed the first phase of that uh, renovation, which is basically the reopening of the Soroya Gallery, which is a gallery decorated by Joaquin Soroya in the early 20th century, the main court uh, renovation, which is this um, uh, Renaissance-style terracotta patio that Huntington and his cousin and architect Charles Kratz designed, and that's the main signature space of the museum, um, the, the reading room of the library and the upper terrace. So this is phase one, and that was overall a 20 million um, project that is completed now, and now we're moving to phase two, uh, which uh, intention is um, to add more gallery spaces, visitor center, education center, conservation center, and so and so on. So first phase was reopening the museum. Second phase is expanding the museum. He has so many objects in his collection. How do you anticipate? showing some, showing another, and where are they warehoused now? Well, you probably can't say, but that's a lot of material to warehouse. It, it, it is. Most of our collection is on site, and the idea for the future really, oh. because one needs to give people good reason to come and come again, is just to rotate the collection and to show, you know, every six months a different uh, a set of objects, different narratives, different perspectives on things. Some hallmark pieces will, will always stay in view, in view but we, we intend to, to, to change the, the discourses that we offer to the, to the public. Because with the collection that we have, we, we, could show, we could show a lot, and we don't want always the same stories to be told. We, we, we want to make room for all the stories, for all the perspectives, and also for all the voices that we would, you know, welcome to, 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 to bring their perspective to the collection and to engage with our audience. Uh, before you were curator of European art at Kimball in Texas, you were curator of Spanish art at the Louvre. What is their approach to showing things? I was very lucky to uh, have been hired under the tenure of Henri Loiret, who was really a, um, a trailblazer. And, um, and he gave me the opportunity to experiment things, to try things like uh, some um, integration of uh, new technology, a multimedia device in the gallery that we worked out with a Japanese company. And um, also he asked me to organize the first ever exhibition on colonial uh, art uh, in, the, in, the, in the Louvre's gallery uh, about the viceregal uh, art in the painting in, in, in Mexico. So that was a totally new horizon for the for the museum. He encouraged me to open up to um, Spanish polychrome sculpture, uh, for instance. So you know the the Louvre is a very traditional place, but it 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 it's a place that likes to be challenged. And and what is important with this specific museum is that whatever you do, it has a huge impact. So so you you better do the right things, right? Where are the great collections of Spanish art, say in Spain or elsewhere, that I can't say are equivalent, but maybe greater or more specialized? Yeah, it depends what you're looking for. But outside of Spain, really, the, the painting collection in the Louvre is quite important. The one in the National Gallery in London is quite important, too. Uh, Budapest has a very strong uh, Spanish art uh, collection. 
Um, and then you have some smaller museum that have a special dedication to the field, like the Musée Castre in France, or the Spanish Gallery in um, Bishop Auckland, or the Bose Museum uh, in Durham, or in the US, the Hispanic Society, and uh, the Meadows in, uh, in, in Texas. So that's, that's one of the specificities of the Spanish school, is to have those institutions that are entirely uh, dedicated to um, the, the study and preservation of the of this uh, material um, but if you look at you know more generalist or universalist museums um, well the Met has quite a decent collection of uh, Spanish art of course the Art Institute in Chicago the National Gallery um, interestingly mostly uh, on the on the on the East Coast and and, uh, and Middle West uh, not that much on the West Coast surprisingly with the very notable exception of San Diego of course so do you is there a niche the in the collection that is not covered well by other American museums well I'm a big um, promoter of Portuguese art. Uh, that's one of the areas that I was lucky to be able to explore when I was at the Louvre, uh, increasing the, the, the collection. And, and the Hispanic Society has a very interesting and important collection of uh, Portuguese art that we are currently uh, growing with the support of uh, uh, Portuguese donors and, uh, and, and trustees. And I don't think that many museums in this country have anything about uh, Portugal, truly. Yes, yes. So when I went to see the museum, they had a temporary exhibition on jewelry, which was very impressive, ornate, well-crafted, and interestingly uh, conceived. Is the temporary exhibitions in our future for the museum as well? Absolutely. We want to keep things dynamic and to keep a balance between, you know, showcasing our collection, but also making uh, room for special exhibition projects. We were very pleased, we are very pleased with this jewel exhibition, um, Jewels in a Gem, Luz Camino at the Hispanic Society, um, because it, it helps us to shed some light on uh, that part of the collection, the jewels. Two of the pieces in the show are actually um, uh, owned by the, by the Hispanic Society, and aside from them, we have a very important collection of jewels. But this is not something that people would, you know, link us with because it's more about painting or sculpture but actually um, the, the, the fashion area is very much part of what we have and care about too we have textiles we have jewels and we want to do more in 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 this um, in, in these fields exciting exciting are you responsible for the reconstruction supervision too as ceo well, that's the thing with CEO. You're responsible for everything. But happily, I, I, I have great collaborators and, uh, and colleagues, so, so it's, uh, it's not all on me. And certainly because not the building case. and uh, supervising building is um, another specialty. It is, it is, it is. But that's, I'm, I'm very helped um, with that um, uh, by my deputy director, Margaret McGrade and Paul Pucciata, who is a consultant working with us, and, um, and he is our liaison person with the, 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 um, the, the architects and, um, and um, the construction reps. So, so that's, that's a great team, that's a great team. And the architects are just perfect. It's, it's uh, just a delight to work with them. 
you have a very nice plaza courtyard up there and uh, but i didn't notice or i was told there was really no place to get a drink or a coffee or anything is that part of a future design or not to have it, some it, place to have a a brief stop well if you food. come today you you'll see a elsid cafe which is an outdoor cafe that we have with us for the for the warm season from spring to fall so that has changed already that's the that i very <laughs> i think it's helpful keeping people going through through their uh, touring uh, uh, time at the museum. So what drew you to art to begin with when you were a child? I, I, I thought it was more of a, of a hobby uh, than a career. I didn't know that one you know, could um, get paid to, to do such a fantastic job. And uh, so I, I first wanted to be a diplomat, an ambassador, and then I realized that actually art is a great way to do um, diplomacy and to be a great ambassador for cultures and, and, and communities. So I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, I'm doing that job now and, uh, and I, I opened to, uh, to art really after I, I finished my uh, degree in political science and, uh, and I realized mm -hmm. that museums were offering a lot of um, opportunities and uh, and now I'm in the situation where I want to give other opportunities to know about uh, museums career. So is there a difference in uh, European and, and American values in terms of museums or collections? No really in terms of values I don't think so uh, in terms of the way they run, yes. Um, of course, in Europe, uh, most museums are, are publicly funded, and uh, in the US, uh, they're, they're mostly private. So that's 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 the difference. But in in this sense, I don't think it it changes a lot um, what uh, what the content is about. What I like with American museums is that they're more responsive to the um, expectations of the time. They're uh, more service-oriented when it comes to, you know, serve their communities and and I think that keeps museums um, on check to be sure that they do the right things and um, so I like that. So for yourself, you bought the Spanish Dolor and uh, it led me to ask myself, do people respond or you respond emotionally? when you consider a work of art or intellectually in the development of trends or exploration of themes? It, it's, it's really both. And, and the, the great thing when you, when you, when you know a bit uh, about art is that you can become more knowledgeable, but you never uh, lose the, the emotion because the emotion is the trigger. So when there is no emotion, there is no you know, willingness to learn more. And, uh, and the more you learn, the more you let the emotion come and grow. You know, I, I thought a long time just about myself. What, when I see something, why do I have any reaction visually to it? Uh, enthusiasm, fear, uh, concern, anguish. And I still don't have a good answer to uh, the question because it isn't real in one sense you're not seeing a person suffer but you're 
you're seeing, I guess, a good or that distinguishes a good artist to escape the canvas and feeling. And also a good museum. I think museum's job is really to organize the condition for the encounter to happen, you know, and for the emotion to to happen. So, so if if you do as a museum curator or museum director, if you do your job well, then you organize this this stage for uh, for emotion to 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 perform. And and one has to remember that art, you know is made was made by real people and and my reading of the emotion alchemy that can happen is really when we perceive the human beings behind the art someone did uh, the art made the piece someone if it's a portrait you know someone was the the sitter and posed for uh, that artist someone prepared the color someone stretched the canvas you know, someone suffered because of the material that were used to make that um, uh, object and, and so on. So it's really when we open up to all the, the stories, the lives, the joys, the sufferings that are behind any uh, uh, object of art that I think we, we are really um, getting the, the most emotion. So if you were making a suggestion to say young people or people who have never bought a painting or any object before, what advice would you have for them? If they were in a just, gallery or yeah, online? Yeah, just, just to come in and, and acknowledge that they know enough already to appreciate what they see because what sometimes hinders, um, especially young audience, to appreciate old art or older art is really that the, the, the idea that they need to know something to able to uh, appreciate it, to, underst to understand it. And, and that, is, that is wrong. It's just like music, you know, it can seize you, uh, whether you know who is the artist, whether you know how to play an instrument or not. But somehow with, with, with art, there is this prejudice that um, I, I, I must know something and, and I don't know enough, so it's not for me. No, 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 it is for everyone. Just spend time with the object, let the object come to you and, and it will eventually. And, and that's going to be the beginning of a, of a journey. Uh, are you, you buy online, I read. Uh, is that at auction or some other place? It is. It is mostly at auction. I I, I like to buy in galleries um, and um, and sometimes on the flea market. You never know. Uh, so 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 yes. Um, I, I mostly buy at auction. I would say. How can you tell? Well, you probably saw it before, but if you haven't seen the object before, sometimes what you see doesn't translate exactly to the experience you're hoping to have, or am I saying it incorrectly? You mean Sometimes in the, the objects of... disappoint me <laughs> that I see a video of or a picture of. Well, I, I think the more you do it, the more you familiarize, you know, your eyes to, 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 to see through things. So I'm, I'm really disappointed in something that uh, I, I bought online, for instance. But also, I would not necessarily go for the same price for an object that I haven't seen in the flesh. 
and for an object that I have seen. So, um, so it's, 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 it's a risk management thing. Oh, interesting. What were the challenges of this job that was different from your prior jobs? Uh, well, the, the first and main challenge to me was that we had to start uh, during a pandemic. So I was interacting with my colleagues on Zoom and, uh, and you know, it's not easy to build um, a relationship, team spirit and all that over, over Zoom. So that was very frustrating from a management standpoint. So, so that was the, the, the first uh, challenge and frustration at the beginning. Then it really is the expectations out there. You know, everyone wanted the Hispanic society to come back, to reopen, and they were asking for timeline, for uh, what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, what, what, what will I see? And so you have to manage those expectations, um, you know, yes. outside and then to make them happen uh, within the institutions. So, so I always want to do more, but I, 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 we, we, we have to be mindful of what exactly we can do and what we cannot. So do you think we've all changed in a group as a result of, at least we were locked up in Michigan and New York, vis-a-vis -vis cultural well, participation? Yeah, I think we constantly change, you know, and that's, that's good. Um, what I find is people are less likely to resume 100% of their old habits because either they're paralyzed from being at home or they want to try some new habits they developed along the line or see they could try. Well, the, the good news is that we were old habits to so few and we hope to be a new habit to uh, many. Yes. So, so that's, uh, and we have those outdoor spaces. It's very spacious inside too. So I think people feel quite safe when they come visit us. Um, do you expect to do, to use the courtyard as a uh, community space or an artistic space? Absolutely. Or is it too dangerous? Oh, no, no, there is nothing dangerous about it. Uh, we, we had a, a live music concert yesterday with an artistic um, workshop on the terrace. Uh, next week, we will inaugurate the installation of a monumental um, sculpture, Penetrable, by Jesus Rafael Soto, a Venezuelan artist. And, um, and at the end of July, we'll have another piece of art installed on the lower terrace by uh, Marta Chilindron, a uh, New York-based uh, artist. So the terrace is really the, our first and, and, and most lively gallery. Thank you very much, Guillaume. And Remember, as you go in your life, you can start in some place and end up in another place equally, if not more satisfying. And he's managed to um, uh, put himself in places that he can learn and participate. And he has always a good idea, unafraid of changing cultures. Um, good for him because we all adjust all the time to changes in cultures. So thank you for tuning in. Remember, go out and do something kind for someone you know and someone you don't know and do it every day and I'll see you next time. Thanks. To contact Junia, send her an email at juniadonesthespark at gmail.com. For more information, program schedules, and news about future guests, go to www.
JuniaDoneTheSpark.com. Thank you for joining us. See you next time on Junia Dones The Spark. Local productions seen on Delta College Public Media are made possible with support from viewers like you. Thank you. This program is presented by a community producer through Midland Community Television. The City of Midland and MCTV are not responsible for the content of the program. The views presented do not necessarily represent those of the City of Midland or MCTV. If you would like to produce your own program, contact MCTV at 837-3474 or access our website, cityofmidlandmi.gov MCTV. We hope you enjoy the following presentation.